Thanks, Terry. Great to have uh, that part of the Bible read for us. And uh, yeah, it really was a beautiful item. Girls, thank you so much. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name's Stuart Starr. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, New Life. And uh, we're going to reflect together on this true news that we've been singing about. So how about I pray and uh, we'll, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity tonight to sing your praises, to pray to you and to enjoy fellowship in your name. We pray now, Father, as we look at your word, the Bible, that it might be alive for us and that by your Holy Spirit, you might challenge and change us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. Well, we've been thinking uh, through this Christmas theme about fake things. Now, Christmases can be full of fake things. And uh, at our earlier service with the kids, I did a little bit of backwards and forwards and got some interesting things. So here's a list of things that might be involved in Christmas that are fake. Now, I, I think these, I always think these are fake cherries, right? Does anyone like these? Glass A cherries? I say, yeah, a couple people do. All right. Well, I'm, I'm happy to call them glass cherries and, and throw them in the bin. Uh, they're fake, right? Okay, that's, that's fair enough. Uh, what about the trees? Christmas is full of fake trees. Uh, has anyone got a real tree in their house? Oh, you guys do. Is that really one out of all of us? Well done. Um, our plastic is standing as green as the day we put it in. That's great. Fantastic. Although uh, it doesn't get the smell. But you can have, you can have if you want it, uh, fake snow, and every now and again, uh, the fake snow um, spray-on stuff comes out. Um, has anyone done the fake snow? Oh, <laughs> Russell. Oh, and Graham. Okay. <laughs> it just stays there ready for next year. Is that right? That's amazing. Wow, I'm really glad that uh, fake snow is part of our world there. Um, I think we've got many children, not so many children here. This is probably possible. I want to suggest to you at Christmas time, it's possible that there might be some fake deer. I'm not convinced about uh, their aerial antics or how light their snozzers are. But, uh, so fake deer, potentially, are part of our, uh, our Christmas uh, stuff. The, the other thing that happens at Christmas time, I think, uh, you know you've got an aunt or maybe you are that aunt, I'm not sure, but you're the aunt who gives that present and someone opens it and they're like, no, thank you, it's, it's lovely. I always wanted a crocheted whatever it is, you know, and maybe it's beautiful, but, uh, but I, I suspect uh, there might be some fake smiles. Don't put your hand up if you're offering some of them around. Uh, just go with it, roll with it, and call it a, uh, a fake smile. Um, the other thing I've discovered with my kids is that uh, there is a whole lot of fake endings at Christmas. No, I see some people responding to this. Has anyone watched this movie? Okay, right. I've got to tell you, I did sit through the princess swap, uh, just so that we're all... Switch, switch, sorry, switch. No. Far be it from me. I can put a fake smile on for you right now. It was wonderful. But, but see, my kids were commenting to me that at the end of every Christmas movie, somebody gets married, right? This, this, was, their, this was their observation. So we have this fake ending. Everything will be right at Christmas time. And so we have fake cherries, fake snow, fake trees, fake endings. And um, somebody around the world somewhere is offering us fake news, aren't they? See, what's the problem with fake Christmas? Maybe, maybe we like fake Christmas, yeah? Maybe we like that feeling. Oh, I love it when we get to Christmas time. Everyone's happy. 
It's, it's such a falsehood, isn't it? See, see, fake Christmas would tell you that there's something that you can always rely on, that happy, warm feeling in your tummy. Fake Christmas is cute. Fake Christmas is a little weird. And fake Christmas is distant. It, it's ultimately unsatisfying. It's ultimately unsatisfying. Fake Christmas is not why you came tonight. What we want to see is that Christmas can be full of true things. It can be full of things that matter, things that have weight, things that have value, things that can be life-changing. True things at Christmas. And in order to think through true things at Christmas, I wanted to look at the nativity scene. Does, does anyone have one of these in their house? Yep? Okay, great. Does it have fake snow on it? Got to be careful of these people with the fake snow, right? But, but so, but so here's, here's the thing. I, I think when we get to Christmas, this is the image that we want to focus on. And what I want to spend some time doing tonight is engaging with the Bible here and with thinking, to, thinking with you, how true is our picture of Christmas? Are we dealing with Christmas as it really was or do we have a make-believe Christmas in mind? So we're going to do that by moving around this scene and we'll start by focusing in on these two here, Mary and Joseph. And I want to think with you about four aspects of this picture. And we're going to start with this first one about community. And I want to ask some questions of the traditional Christmas story, the one that we all know, right? And I want to ask this, would Mary and Joseph really have been alone? Would Mary and Joseph really have been alone? Now, you guys have this picture, right? There's always the, the pregnant donkey picture, right? Yeah? You know that one. But, but we also have a picture, before everybody turns up here with all their gifts and animals, we've got this picture of them being totally alone, don't you? Thank you, Nelson. I see that hand. So here's the thing. I want to think about that again. I want to think about that in. And what we're going to do for each of these stopping points is have a look at some other parts of the Bible that might inform it, might help us to understand it. And I'm going to have a little, little tag here. You can see that one says OT. That's from the Old Testament, the first half of your Bible. And some of it will come from the NT, the New Testament, the bit that's written after and around the time of Jesus. So I want, to, I want you to see that hospitality matters. Hospitality matters. In Genesis, way back in the first book of the Bible, we come across someone who's in distress and, uh, and in a strange place. And, and this dialogue happens uh, with, uh, with a man called Lot. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we'll spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house and he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Go to a foreign city at night, and you'll be compelled to come in. That's an example from the Old Testament. What about in the New Testament? In the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul baptizes a woman, a woman called Lydia from the city of Thyatira. And it says this in Acts chapter 16, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. A new believer has strangers nearby. What do we do? We invite them in. 
we invite them into our home. Family matters too. Family matters too. We see that there was family at the heart of the Christmas story. If you have a look, if you've got Luke there, uh, Luke chapter 2, and you can see it up on the screen or you can look at it in your Bibles. Uh, In verses 4 to 7, we see this. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him, who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time for the baby to be born came, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. So here's the thing. Uh, The census that happens... That, this, that Caesar decrees, sends everybody back to their ancestral homes. What that means is families are coming together. They go back to the ancestral home of the tribe of the people from David, right? And so they get to a town, and the question is, would going to a town that's your, full of your ancestors, would they be a distant family and leave you pregnant and alone? If you go to the town filled with your ancestors, the people are all related to you, and you're pregnant, are you going to end up alone on that night? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to say that's, that doesn't make sense. We all know what extended family looks like, right? And what do you do for extended family? Yes, we might have a conversation behind the back of the cupboard about Uncle Joe or whatever, right? But, but they have to be in the house. You can't turn them away. And so why should we suspect that coming to this, a pregnant woman would be on her own? I think it's unreasonable. I think it's most likely that they were cared for and surrounded. And so I would say to you, the first Christmas wasn't lonely. Wasn't lonely. Well, what about futility? The the reason that we think that they are lonely is because what? We're told there was no room in the end. So let's have a look at that. Is it futility? Did they wander around knocking on every door? And think about this. Every door closed to a pregnant woman. That's our traditional understanding, isn't it? What sort of town is that? No, 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 seriously. Right? And so, so let's think about it like it's real, like it happened in real space and time. That's crazy talk. So was it futility? Was there really no room in the inn? I want you to see that people in the time that the Bible was written, had spare rooms, rooms for guests. And so we see in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 17, a man called Elijah is staying with a woman who is a widow, and her son has just got uh, sick. He says, give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, he he died actually, so he's pretty sick, (laughs) and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him out on his bed. Do you you see, there was a place in this house, a guest room that you could take a man who would come to stay. Or if we look in the New Testament, we see Jesus, when he wants to enjoy the Passover, says to his disciples, "Go go into the town and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready make preparations for us there. So there's a room, a spare room in the house. And I want to suggest to you, having done quite a bit of research this week, this is probably what the layout of one of the homes in Bethlehem looked like. 
It's got a wall all the way around the outside. It's not big, but it has in the front of it a courtyard. And the courtyard is a place that shares the same air with the family room. It's, it opens onto the courtyard. So we put our family there in the family room. And in the courtyard at night, we put our animals. Why? Because everybody doesn't have a fenced field to put them in. They don't have barbed wire to put up and run 27 kilometers of. So at night, I put them in my precious animals in my courtyard, in my house. And so what happens then, there's the mangers. The mangers were up on this step. So there's kind of a raised area like this. And there were mangers built into the top, the front lip of this raised section, right? So the animals could reach over and eat at the right height. Are you with me? Okay, so Mary and Joseph turn up and you would ordinarily put them where? In the guest room. But what happens if a family has turned up and is in the guest room? Well, then you don't put them in the guest room. You take them round and you have them in the family room, which is next to what we would call a stable. And so now we've got the story. Are you with me? And where are we going to put the baby? We won't put him on a table. We'll put him in the soft place where we can look after him in the manger. Here's a picture of the sort of house that we're talking about in Bethlehem. An outdoor space connected to the indoors where there were animals, not on the streets. And while while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. This is another thing, you know. We often think that Mary's in labor pains on the donkey. Is this right? And she's groaning at the door and people are turning them away. This is our understanding, right? Or that we've got a shed at the back. Just go and take care of yourself. No one's coming with you. Yeah? That's what we're doing in our heads, right? But it says here, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to a son, firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Makes sense, doesn't it? Not a hostile town excluding the vulnerable. The true news is it was probably that they put them up in their room. The first Christmas did family right. They actually looked after the strangers from out of town who were distantly related. What about humility? What about humility at Christmas? Why include shepherds in this story at all? Firstly, because it gives tiny boys something to do in the kids' play, right? I mean, that's obviously why the holy God got shepherds involved, right? Yeah? So for the next 2,000 years, little boys could get dressed up in a tea towel and think that they did something in the... Thank you, Kathy, for helping that happen, right? But that's not the reason. But we must think about why include shepherds, right? I want you to see that shepherds were despised. In, uh, in Genesis, we are told, you should answer your servants, at this, talking about um, uh, Abraham's descendants, says, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood, just as our fathers did. Then you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Interesting. Well, we see again in the Old Testament when David You know, David, before he became king over Israel, was actually a a shepherd. And his brothers make fun of him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at them and asked, Why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? 
I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. In other words, go play little boys' games with the animals, right? This is big boy stuff. You're not welcome here. But then conversely, very strangely, in the same Bible, we also see that shepherds, that's the way you speak of leading others. Have a look with me in this psalm. It says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. How beautiful, right? But here we see you step up from the sheep pens and it's a contrast. That's the lowest. This is the highest. But the job is still called shepherding. And in fact, we see that God has an issue with the shepherds of Israel, not the guys holding the staffs, but the one running the country. This is what the sovereign Lord says in Ezekiel. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? The leaders are in trouble. And then we're told that the ultimate shepherd is the Lord is my shepherd in the most famous psalm that we have. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Shepherds are leaders. God is a shepherd. And so then we get to Luke chapter 2 and we look at verses 8 and 9 afresh. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and we go no way. I, I heard you do that. That was really good. It was really spontaneous, right? No way. Because why would a divine angel speak to shepherds? No one speaks to shepherds. But an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. See, the wonderful part about this story is the shepherds were socially lowly. And yet the true news, the true story of Christmas, there's no advantage to inventing this detail. Why have this magnificent host of angels appeared to the lowest in society? The only reason it's in the story is because it's true. And perhaps, just perhaps, it's judgment on the leaders of Israel. The true shepherds of Israel are not visited by angels. It's the guys in the paddock who get the heavenly visitation. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that extraordinary? And so the first Christmas invites all, the social outcast is invited to the first Christmas. What about duplicity? This is my fourth point. What about duplicity? Does anyone welcome a new king? Does anyone welcome a new king? And I want to suggest to you that most of the time they don't. <laughs> most of the time they don't. And yet Jesus did come as a king. Uh, it says in Matthew chapter 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, and we could read it to you, but we won't. But if you read the genealogy of Jesus, he's the Messiah, that's another word for king, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is a king. And then we see that the people want to make him into a king at some point. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, and they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. He said, I'm not willing to be your king in the way you want me. I'm going to be a different king. And you know how Jesus became a king? You know how Jesus was enthroned? He was enthroned at Easter. He was enthroned at Easter by a group of people who hated him. Have a listen to this. 
From then on, Pilate, do you remember Pilate? Pontius Pilate, who the Jews handed Jesus over to? Pilate tried to set Jesus free. The, the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. See, Jesus is an inconvenient king for Caesar. Pilate had a notice, it tells us in John 19, fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And what happens if you're king of the Jews? How do you get celebrated? You get nailed to a cross because no one welcomes a king. After Jesus was born, it says in Matthew chapter 2, in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. Now, King Herod Herod the Great was a real guy. He lived from 37 BC to 4 BC, and he had a murderous reputation. Murderous reputation. I read something that said there were people being killed every other day during the reign of King Herod. Anyone who stood up, he would smack down, and he was ruthless. And so our question is, does anyone welcome a king? Well, the king who was king when Jesus arrived was a paranoid king, and it led to a paranoid people. The first Christmas was a threat to all would-be kings. The first Christmas was a threat to all would-be kings. Fake Christmas is cute, weird, and distant. True Christmas True Christmas is about Christ, the King. True Christmas is not weird. It's about worshipping the one who is come in human flesh. The true Christmas is not distant. Instead, it's about deciding what to do with the King who has come near to us. This offers us what is ultimately satisfying. And I want to think about this deciding. What are we to do with the true news that we found about our Christmas story. Has it surprised you, what you saw when we revisited that? It's a, it's, a, it's a picture that resonates with real life for us. So what do we do with what we found? Well, I want to tell you that one thing you can do tomorrow is you can don the crown. Uh, you know there's crackers? Anyone going to have crackers tomorrow? Okay. Do you ever do the sneaky bit where you've got to hold the bit on the inside to make sure? Anyway, you do that. Then they go bang, and you're left, and you open it up, and what's inside, guys? A crown? Yes. <laughs> there's a silly joke that everyone has to groan at, and there's a weird bit of plastic that you're supposed to hold and be thankful that you got or something, right? Oh, look, I've got a tape measure, whatever it is. But, but everybody, if you have them on the table, everyone ends up with, with a crown. It's extraordinary, isn't it? The thing we do, the thing we all do to celebrate Christmas is we put on a crown. And so what I want to say to you is, tomorrow, having heard all this, you can don the crown. And I've got a line from a song for you. Oh, come, let us ignore him. I'll throw the crown on. I'll keep being in charge of my life. 
I don't need God to tell me what to do. I certainly don't need his rules or his, I don't need any of that. I'm wearing, my, I'm wearing my paper crown. I'm wearing a crown right here in my heart that says, this space is occupied. God, I don't need you in my life. We can sing tomorrow, oh come, let us ignore him. Or secondly, we can open our hearts. We can open our hearts like the shepherds, like the ones who heard from the angels, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying incredibly bizarrely because it wasn't the regular spot in a manger. You could sing a line for this one too. Perhaps tonight you're here and you're thinking, I want more of this. I need more of this in my life. I need to know more of this God who is really there. We can open our hearts and we can say, oh, come, let us explore him. Let's find out more about the God who's really there, who offers us life and life to the full. This Christmas, you can open your heart and say, I want to know more. Oh, come, let us explore him. Or the third option is to dethrone yourself. Take off the heart. But by the way, tomorrow when you wear your paper crown, it's okay, right? But here's what I want to say to you. I want you to think about the real one in your heart. The one that says, I'm in charge. God, you're not welcome here. We can dethrone ourselves from the throne of our hearts. And we can say, God, I want you here. I want to install you here. And the people who do that, the people who have done that, we sing, come let us adore him. Come let us adore him. The one who came into the world who bled for us, who died for us, who rose for us, who offers life eternal to us. Come, let us adore him. You see, tonight I want to tell you that Jesus is inviting you to know him. If you know him already, he'd love to know you more. If you don't know him, tonight is a great time to get started. We run a course uh, and we'll run one in the new year called Jesus for the Curious. It's an opportunity to say, I've got questions, I've come to explore him. You might like to let us know you'd like to do that course in the new year and we'll be in touch with you. You might like to say, I'd like to explore him by reading the Bible. And and I I said this to the five o'clock guys, maybe you've got a Bible at home. If you can find it, dust it off. Do you know they don't run out of batteries? It'll be as good to go as the time it got lost behind the back of your... Get it out. Have a read. He's there waiting to be found. He is alive today. Or if you really can't find your Bible, we've got a free one at the back. It looks like this. It's called The Essential Jesus. It's Mark's Gospel, Mark's account of Jesus' life. It'll take you 45 minutes to read. Grab one for free as you go out tonight. Take that home. Oh, come let us explore him. Or it may be that you're just looking to find a place with people who are adoring him and you'd be very welcome here at any of our three services. that was but it sounded good we're gonna we're gonna finish uh the message at that point and continue it in symbol form oh can somebody run up tim thank you you can't see but there's a cup suspended underneath (laughs) did you like that was just all solemnly seamlessly done you see church thank you tim that's extremely helpful (laughs) 